I believe each player, they're great in their own right. And I, I, I won't say that there's the greatest of all time. I, I've never gotten into that debate. I love Michael Jordan. I love Kobe Bryant. I love these guys. But I'm never going to go in there and say this is the greatest of all time. I just don't because everyone was great in their own right. And there's greatness in every one of them. Greatness in everyone. But I've never gotten into that debate, not even on the women's side. If someone asks me who do I think was one of the best, I'll say Cynthia Cooper every single time. It's going to come out of my mouth every single time. Live in Los Angeles, I am not in costume. Izzy Gutierrez is in costume, and he will explain his costume shortly. But we're going to get into a lot of conversations today and have a special guest that I can't wait for you guys to hear. Izzy, do you want to explain your costume before you get started? Listen to me, CJ McCollum. Uh, I need to talk to you really quickly about how much I sort of secretly hate Halloween. Um, I used to despise it, and then I started doing Around the Horn. And then I just got on a roll with a few costumes and then I killed a few. And then I was just like, wow, now I'm the king of Halloween, right? I can't stand the the pressure of the having to do the great costume and everything else. But I just did Pete Davidson on Around the Horn earlier today. We're uh, doing this right on Monday, Halloween. And I had to get rid of all the makeup because I couldn't do it. I didn't think it looked great. And so if you Google Pete Davidson at the Steph Curry three-point break uh record breaking game you'll see a really obnoxious pink hoodie in the background <laughs> with white uh or rather blonde hair just sticking out of the crowd all over steph curry's uh celebratory shots that's pete davidson and that's who i am right now still so i decided to uh to do it for the podcast because why not First of all, I'm happy that you are in costume. I'm sad that I'm not. I didn't prepare for this being in Los Angeles for so long. I didn't think I should bring a costume. I'll plan mm. this out better in the future. I enjoy Halloween. I love the parties. Dame used to throw a Halloween party every year, and it got it got tricky because we started having games the next day. So it was always interesting to see, like, mm. how's the game going to go after this Halloween party? But historically, we were winners. What was your best Halloween costume at Dame's? My wife and I used to... I'll just say she used to pick out the costumes and I used to show up, but um, <laughs> we were like matching costumes very often, but I can't remember. I think one of my, one of my best costumes was uh, Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. I was at Adam. Okay. So you can oh, imagine, okay. I get it you know, now. Not, not a lot of clothes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Old times, uh, you know, you know how college goes. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been in LA for a little bit. Like I know people, um, like Toronto started the season where they had back-to-back -back home games in Miami and it was one of the greatest accomplishments in NBA history that they won the second one of those after being in Miami for three straight nights. Uh, what what do you do in LA? Like, how do you keep yourself from, you know, feeling like you're in LA for three days? Well, I, I said this earlier, I watch a lot of Netflix, a um, lot of FaceTime uh, meetings. I usually meet with my agent. So I go see my agent. Shout out to Sam Goldfeder, Excel Sports Management. I usually go eat at his house and then I meet up with some friends. I'll, I'll have dinner with Sean Jackson. I had dinner with Griff, our president of basketball operations. I normally schedule dinner so I can catch up with people and, you know, talk through things, get a better idea of what's going on in people's lives. And then usually I'm sleepy after that. So it's easy for me to mm -hmm. go to sleep. I do enjoy an adult beverage. So on occasion I'll attend, you know, while he's having a adult beverage with some of my teammates, but 
Um, I, I just generally stay busy. I'm getting massages. I'm getting treatment. I'm just trying to stay busy so that I'm tired by the time it's nighttime. But I think the good news is we got the first one. You know, you always want to get that first one on a road trip to kind of set the mm -hmm. set the stage. We, we lost, obviously, against the Phoenix Suns. But being in L.A. for so long, it's very important for us to get this first one. Now we can kind of rest, recover. Guys can enjoy themselves, fill their cup up, as Willie would say. And then you get ready for uh, – a tough Lakers team by tough. I mean, they're playing hard. They seem to be more focused, more in tune. Russ seems to be more comfortable coming off the bench. He's playing better. And um, they've been a good defensive team. They just haven't shot well. And I feel like at some point they're going to shoot better. And that's when law of averages will catch up for their record. Uh, just for not the record. Us. When you're <laughs> right. No, shouldn't be. When you're down in Miami, um, I like lobster. And so we should put that on ESPN's bill. Uh, we can catch up that way and call it a, a work meeting. Um, one team of yours, it's not yours, it's doing pretty well. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, it's strange because in the preseason, I think we mentioned this in the previous podcast, like they were struggling with a defensive philosophy switch. Like they really wanted to get out to the threes more, not as much of the old coverage. And, you know, from everything you read, they were struggling with it uh, the preseason, but they sort of hit the ground running with it defensively. And then you've got Giannis scoring like a crazy man in the second halves of games. And their defense is still, I think, top five at the moment. Um, but yeah, they're they're an undefeated team that I thought without Chris Middleton would struggle a little bit early on, maybe without that sort of motivation of, you know, it's a long season and they've already won one recently. I knew they would be good, but I think they would be this good without Chris Middleton. You look at who they beat thus far. Obviously, they played some tough teams. They open up against the Sixers, I believe, and that's a tough team. You know, obviously, you got James Harden, got Joel Embiid, and they've been handling business. And they're not just without Chris Middleton. You look at their roster and their injury report, right? Chris Middleton's not playing. Brooke Lopez is a game-time decision for the night. Pat Connaughton's been out all season. You know, a guy who averaged double digits, right. three and D guy, gives him a lot of versatility defensively. And Joe Ingles, who they signed, hasn't played all season. So they're missing some guys that can definitely help out. And Chris Middleton, I've said it before, he's their closer. He's the guy that delivers down the stretch of games. He's a 50, 40, 90, 6, 8, 3 level scorer that they're missing. And they're casually 5 0. And Giannis has taken his game to new heights, scoring. Well, he, he scored, you know, over 35 in what, three or four consecutive games, over 40, I think, in two games. He's basically on the biggest scoring streak of his NBA career, five games into his season without arguably the second best player on their team. And not leading the league in score. You know, there are 11 guys right now. I know it's early in the season. 11 guys averaging more than 30 at the moment. Like, that's yeah. kind of crazy. I know <laughs> it'll whittle down, but why? Why do you think? I think like, it's more pace. now than ever. I think it's pace. So skill set is the skill set. It's pace and it's the amount of three-pointers guys are shooting. Giannis is obviously different. But you look at the rest right. of the guys averaging 30 a game, they're generally speaking three-level scorers. You got Kyrie, right? KD, you're basically averaging 30. You got Dane, three-level scorer, averaging 30. But a lot of these guys, Donovan Mitchell, predominantly three point threats right so everything is based off the three where they they can obviously get to the rim they can shoot the midi but they have so much shot credibility you have to guard them closer which makes it easier for them to drive but that's just a credit to player development honestly guys are getting better they're getting more efficient at scoring and it's also really really early in the season so things yeah, yeah, yeah. well not for Giannis probably Giannis will probably keep this up oh he's and gonna have 30 yeah I, i'm curious with him like 
it feels like after he won the first MVP, sort of lost some some pressure off his shoulders. You know, after the championship, no pressure. You see him, you know, joking in all the the post game. He seems like it's just that zero to prove, zero pressure on him. And like every year, it's like a little bit better and a little bit of improvement. It just feels like he's out there just having a ball, and that seems scary to me. Like if if they you know remain healthy, if they get healthy and get back, like Ayana's slightly better every year. Like what what is that like? for you guys to have to pre- prepare for. Not great. Not great to see him <laughs> continue to get better. Good for him. Not great for the rest of the league. I mean, you look at his numbers. 34-14-5. His performance index rating is 27, which is ridiculous. Just to give people perspective, like the numbers he's putting up haven't been duplicated before. Like, I don't know who's right. averaged 35 and 15 besides Will Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like no one else, right? It so, wasn't Shaq, no. Wasn't Shaq, and Shaq was very good. He's seven foot, two hundred and forty three pounds, listed at moves like a deer. He's athletic. He has a go go gadget left arm. He can dunk on you with either arm. He's blocking shots. He's a great help defender. And I think Charles Barkley talked about it. Shaq talked about it. Kenny talked about it. His playmaking ability has continued to get better. He's continued to figure out ways to empower his teammates, and I think that's what's showing. And that's something that needs to be highlighted more often. He's missing Chris Middleton. He's missing another starting caliber player. And he's finishing games and winning games single-handedly. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Would you say, not, like, I don't like to talk about anything about MVP this early because I feel like you're automatically jinxing the first person you're talking about. But do you think, oh, see, that's what I was saying, too. It was an automatic jinx because I heard that the other day. Um, but with Giannis, is it best player in the league i know we had the poll and everything espn did but is that like kind of universal like hey Giannis is it's like he's the best player in the league right now his team's five you know he's missing a starter and another borderline starter i think it'd be hard to argue that he's not the best player in the league right now just based on his individual performance and how he uplifts his team how happy his team is i think you judge everything you judge team camaraderie morale individual performance there's no issues within the monkey bucks organization that we know of i'm not saying everything's perfect but you look at the leadership that that team has look at his press conferences look how free-flowing it is you talked about how happy he looks he's at peace 
and his teammates are happy. Wesley Matthews is hitting game winners. Like they're in a really great space collectively. And I think that goes to him and the organization. And that's a credit to his ability to empower his teammates while still being dominant. So I would say it's an easy answer. There's a lot of guys that are playing well, but based on how he's performing, based on how well liked he seems to be, not just with his team, but within the media, they love his little corny dad jokes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's, he's the front runner along with Ja. And it's crazy to me that that's almost like what had to happen for he kind of like saved the small market, right? The small market team a little bit because it was such a pattern of people just leaving after seven and then just trying to find their championships elsewhere. And he stayed. He probably saved like a a lesser superstar would probably put more blame or find a way to blame Budenholzer for some early uh, issues uh, when they were together. And so it just feels like you needed this ideal superstar for that to happen uh in milwaukee something like that and he just kind of is that he's kind of like perfect fit he is he's the he's the guy who's low maintenance in the sense of not needing what other star players may need or want or yearn for he just wants to win he wants to be happy he wants his peace and tranquility and he wants to go win championships and he wants to do that in milwaukee right now but he has gone on record saying that he wouldn't mind playing in chicago which i thought was hilarious that is funny yeah um You know what? Let's just switch over real quick, because speaking of going on record about where you want to play, um, Miles Turner, this was an odd. And I know you said this and I feel like a lot of people probably double checked, but you thought it was fake when you were reading this because Miles Turner just gave this quote on ESPN's The Woj Pod with Adrian Wojnarowski. He said, if I'm the Lakers, I mind you, he's not a Laker. He's an Indiana Pacer, okay? He says, if I'm the Lakers, I take a very hard look at this with the position that you're in. I know what I can provide for a team, my leadership, my shot blocking, my three-point ability, and just my ability to make plays out there on the floor. And I take a very long look at it. But as far as pulling the trigger, I get paid to shoot. I'm not paid to make these calls, so I could never answer that. CJ, I know there's, you know, trade requests have been a thing of late, but just like openly discussing or selling yourself to another franchise um, on a podcast with a newsmaker. I, I don't, I, I don't understand that. Not just with the newsmaker. He did it with Woj, the newsmaker. Right. Um, Sorry, the newsmaker. I mean, point, point taken. He, he obviously knows he's been in trade rumors and he just expressed how he feels he could help another organization, another team. Uh, I thought it was fake to answer your question. I did. I thought it was one of those fake pages online. I was like, he didn't say this. And then I, and then you told me and our producers told us that it was actually real and that he did say these things. I'm, I don't know what to say. I'm at a loss for words, but I do think that <laughs> he's right. Like he could help in terms of his versatility, knocking down shots, all those things. He does offer a lot to not just that team, but any team, including the team that he plays for. He's a big guy who blocks shots, knocks down threes, and spreads the floor. And Buddy Hill is another floor spacer, shot maker, which which you need in the NBA. So I thought it was an interesting discussion to have on a podcast, on on any podcast, let alone Woj's podcast. But he did just answer the question. So technically, he didn't bring it up. He just answered the question. True. But let me ask you this, though, as somebody who came from a, you know, less than the major uh, major market when you started your career there in Portland. Um, I remember somebody on Miles's team, Turner's team, like coming up to me a few years ago, basically telling me or trying to tell me why he was so deserving of being on the all defensive, all all defense first team. Um, but that 
playing in Indiana does not get him the attention he requires to to get those awards. And it feels like, and this is maybe putting words in his mouth, but it feels like this is also Miles Turner saying, hey, I have to yell to be heard uh, from here. So let me go ahead and just say this in a big you know, news podcast. Um, what is that like to feel that and think, is, is it real? Like the idea of you're just not getting enough attention. Things would be different for you if you were in a, a, a different market. Like, do you have to yell to be heard from, you know, Indianapolis? I don't think you have to yell to be heard, but I will say that based on team success and star power on your team, that kind of determines how often you're on TV. Milwaukee's a small market team. True. I mean, you could even argue that Miami's a small market team. Obviously, they got state taxes and advantages, and it's a nice city. But when you talk about size of a state, you talk about amount of money being generated in the state, the New York Knicks are a big market team. Are they on TV all the time? So it's star power. More than they should be, I'll tell you that. <laughs> your words, your words, not mine. It's the, it's the star power that drives it. I think that's what's really important. I think that's what a lot of players are missing. You could be in a small market, but if you got a star like Zion on your team or a star like Giannis on your team, they're going to put you on TV. And if you're successful and you're winning games, you're definitely going to be on TV more. So I think that's also a factor. You know, you look at the Indiana Pacers historically, right? Like, when Victor Oladipo was there, they were on TV. So I think that it comes down to those things as well. But if you do want to be heard, you can scream. And he screamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of guys like De'Aaron Fox, uh, who's just been in Sacramento for so long and just the losing it feels like it sort of drains you. It can drain a guy who's just really energetic and just wants to win and everything else. And um, so I get the the wanting to get out of there, but I've just never seen it that uh, overt during a season and just be, and just selling yourself to another team, which, by the way, like if I'm Turner, I would just sell myself to any winning team, wouldn't you? Because the Lakers aren't exactly winning. Yeah, but that's the team he's been most closely attached to based on what I've been hearing, based on what we've been seeing um, online. At least it's just reports that the Lakers thing is what has been talked about, what has been discussed, probably what has been proposed and turned down from someone. Well, the Lakers probably uh, not going to recover without um, a big trade, but I will say the Clippers seem a little bit um, – Early on, a little bit questionable, and I know the uh, the Kawhi Leonard resting, and he missed four straight games after uh, playing in that first one coming off the bench. Real quick, um, that's an interesting dilemma to have there. They're they're kind of a favorite to some people, a little bit surprising, but um, to not be able to set your rotations early on and have some of these you know question marks early, what does that do for the Clippers? I think it changes the team dynamic. The comfortability is not there. The chemistry is not there, obviously, and then not knowing who's playing night to night, I think it affects the team. But obviously Kawhi is a huge part of that team. And I think they're in the mindset of if we're healthy going into the playoffs, it doesn't matter what seed we are. But I think it's just uh, affecting players' rhythms. You can see it. The look on players' faces, understanding, spacing, timing, who's taking what shot, who's the offense being ran through when PG's not in the game. Like There's a lot of things they're still trying to figure out. And I think the lack of fluidity in their offensive lineups on a day-to-day basis and defensive lineups on a day-to-day basis is affecting the team, the roster, the rotation, and how the coaching staff prepares. You can see that in them when they're playing. There's just Absolutely. like some little bit of confusion here and there. A lot of confusion, a lot of 
chemistry issues and not not that they don't like each other because you can tell they do but when you don't get to play with the guys consistently it's hard like we're going through it now in new orleans with injuries right like we've had herb out we've had bi out we've had z out we've had guys out and then when they come back and then they go out it changes things it changes the rotation it changes how much certain guys play how often you play when you go into the game and those things affect your performance absolutely 100 percent all right, CJ. Well, I'm sad that you didn't uh, get in costume, but I'm glad I spent 20 minutes with you uh, as Pete Davidson from a Knicks game. <laughs> that uh, was fun. I, I enjoyed the costume. I'm sure our, our listeners will as well. And if you don't know, we have a special guest coming on shortly who needs no introduction. All right, we're live in Los Angeles. First of all, I appreciate you taking this time on our off day. I know how valuable off days are. And for those that don't know, coaches work extremely hard. The hours are very difficult. They're long. They're tedious. You guys don't get enough credit, so I appreciate you. Well, thank you, CJ. Spending time. For those that don't know, I'm here with Teresa Witherspoon, the great Teresa Witherspoon. Big T, Teaspoon, Hall of Famer, whatever you want to call her. We call her coach, but for those that don't know, I'm going to go through some accolades. I'm going to embarrass her real quick. Played in the 88 and 92 Olympics, NCAA Division I champion in 88, two-time WAC regular season champion, 2009-2011. That is as a coach, WAC tournament champion in 2010, Wade Trophy winner in 88, Honda Sports Award for basketball, 88, two-time Kodak All-American, 87, 88. I'm going to keep going. American South Player of the Year in 88, Roderick Cup winner in 88, two-time WNBA Defensive Player of the Year in 97, 98, five-time WNBA All-Star from 99 to 2003, four-time WNBA Second Team from 99 to 2000, WNBA Assistant Champ Assist Champion, my bad, 1997 Steals Champion twice, 97, 98, WNBA 15th anniversary team in 11, WNBA 20th anniversary team in 16, six-time Italian League All-Star from 89 to 94, La Tech Athletic Hall of Fame, has played in Europe, has played in the W, has coached as a head coach, now currently assistant coach for the New Orleans Pelicans, T-Spoon. How you doing? I'm great. You just embarrassed me. I mean, I feel like the world should know that you're one of the, the greatest basketball players of all time, not just women basketball players, but... For those that don't know, now they know. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No problem at all. And we discussed your upbringing, right, a little bit. Mm -hmm. You grew up in, I want to make sure I say this right, yep. Pineland, Texas, 882 people. You've gone from Pineland, Texas, to the W, to Europe, to the NBA as an assistant coach. You've seen some of the best. You've coached some of the best. What has life been like for you on this journey? And coming from 882 yeah. people to now, like what has kind of changed in your life from a sports standpoint. Yeah, you, you, you hit it on the head, CJ. I came from a place of 882 people. I was one of those kids who was told you would never become great. Uh, there's, it's the impossible. Um, I don't really talk about that, but I want people to know that that's something that happened to me because I came from such a very small place and it was all about being mission driven, having purpose behind your, your, your drive. And I had an opportunity to get to Louisiana Tech, to play at Louisiana Tech under Leon Barmore which is very hard because I didn't have the means, my family didn't have the means to go to school. So I had to get it done athletically to get to school, to be able to do things that I wanted to do in my life and got a chance to play at Louisiana Tech under a four-year scholarship. And then it just blossomed from there. Everything just started to go from there. Got a chance to be an Olympian, two-time Olympian, and then overseas for so many years. And then the W came into existence. And then I got to play in New York City. And of course, playing in New York City, if you do everything the right way, the exposure comes. 
and it happened for me, and I'm thankful and blessed. I'm just grateful for all those things, and then now I'm here with the Pelicans. Um, and I think it's just the hard work from not having, coming from a very small place, being told what you can't do, and using that as motivation to get to where you need to be. You talked about using it as motivation, the chip, if you will. I call it the chip on people's shoulders very often. What were the obstacles that you faced as a black woman, right? Coming from Pineland, Texas, you know, yeah. not having the WNBA, right? Yeah. Having to go to Europe. What was that like? Obviously, European basketball is different now. My brother is, is, is playing. This is his 14th, 13th season in yeah. Europe. What was that like for you going from 800 people to yeah. Italy to all those countries you, you, you traveled to? And then how were you able to maneuver um, society, if you will, yeah. as you became a coach in the yeah. NBA? It was really hard, uh, CJ, to go uh, from a very small place and then I'm headed overseas to go play. Now I'm away from family, and I'm, I'm so family-oriented, it's unreal. You know, we're super close as a family, but I had to go away to live my dream. I wanted to continue to play after college. Collegiately was done, all that is done. Now what am I gonna do? I had to go overseas. Uh, the ultimate for us at the time was to be an Olympian. So that dream I accomplished. I, I wanted that so bad, I accomplished that, and I did that twice. And I moved on from there, and play overseas was probably extremely, extremely difficult because you're away from home and you're learning to live in a different country. You're, you're having to somewhat de-Americanize yourself mm -hmm. and be a part of their, their history, their culture, and to fit in, to really to fit in, to show them how much you appreciate the opportunity to be a professional athlete there as well. But that was a difficult move uh, to go away from family, but you had to do what you had to do to live a dream. It's sacrifice. Absolutely. There is a huge sacrifice, and I don't think people understand or appreciate what it's like for American players to go abroad and be away from their families. And obviously you went during a time in which technology isn't what it is today. Mm -hmm. I remember having to Skype my brother while mm -hmm. he's abroad. Now, obviously, I can I can do Zoom calls. I yeah. can do FaceTime and I can actually watch live stream his games. But people don't understand the transformation that that we have to make as players and that a lot of those players yeah. have to make. Talked about transformation. Speaking of which, when did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to coach? Obviously, you were very successful as a player. A lot of the saying is the best players aren't the greatest coaches. Mm -hmm. I think you're one of the few people who is a great player and is also a great coach. How did you find that balance? And when did you decide that yeah. you wanted to be a coach? That happened for me as a freshman in college um, because I'm, I'm inquisitive. I wanted to know, why did you do that, Coach Barmer? Why did you make that call? What's the purpose of that call? Why do we do what we do? Why do we do this defensively? I wanted to always know. I wanted to be equipped uh, because they always say the point guard is the extension of the coach. So I had to be extension of him to know why he's thinking what he's thinking and could possibly tell him what he's thinking before he asked me. I wanted to be that close to him and understand the game. And when I am done, I know this is what I want to do. I knew that's what I wanted to do when I was done playing because it's another way to assist. It's another way to give back. Uh, you don't play a game and experience what you experience and not give back. And that this is the way for me to be able to give back. I don't know why anyone else does it, but this is my way of giving back the experience that I've had for so many years of playing the game of basketball. Now you're definitely giving back, and I'm, I'm going to discuss our Pelicans team. I'm going to discuss relationships, the importance of development. But I want to talk about how the – the game of basketball has transformed, specifically the yeah. women's game of basketball, mm -hmm. how it's transformed since you played to now yeah. and how much spotlight it's now getting and how yeah. we're able to watch games on TV. Yeah. Men's basketball players are supporting women's basketball players. You got NBA players going to games. How has it transformed and what would you like to see continue to happen in terms yeah. of the strides that W can take? Yeah, this it, it has really, really changed a lot for the good. Um, we, we don't ever say that we weren't talented. We were pretty talented, but today's game and the way it's played is really positionless, as you can tell. But it is so unbelievable how they play the game. Uh, 
uh, that it, it's so exciting to watch. Uh, it's really growing. It's evolving every single year. It's becoming different. Um, but what would you like to see? Because I think Kobe did a heck of a job of this is really supporting us as women and really putting out there that what we do, we are very good at what we do. We're great at what we do. And anyone can learn from what we do. And he put that out there for us. And then you got other people that's joining in to, sh to watch what we do. We just need more exposure. We just need more exposure. We get more of that. We'll do really well. I think this year, uh, this past season, was probably one of the best that I've seen in many years. I agree. I, I want to get out to more W games as well. I've been a big fan from afar. I need to get more close, and I need to be more vocal about my support yeah. of the W, and that's something that I'm, I'm going to be working on alongside the NBA. But I thought that was really important. You look at the development of women's basketball, the ability to play the game obviously is what it is, but the exposure that they're getting yeah. now, starting at the collegiate level, mm -hmm. right? You're being able to see more games on TV. We're starting to be able to follow women's basketball yeah. and know who players are yeah. before they get to the W. And then obviously being able to follow their, their career uh, here as well as abroad yeah. is very important. Turning the page to the Pelicans, mm -hmm. how has your transition been in the NBA? First of all, yeah. as a coach, what's it been like? What, what have you enjoyed most about it? And what do you enjoy most about our Pelicans team before I get into the rest? You know, I always get the question of the respect factor. You know, being a female in what people deem to be male-dominated uh, is, do they respect you? I never walked in, CJ, and asked for any respect. Never. I never even said to Google me. I've done this. I've done that. I always walked in to let each guy that I might have come in contact with to know that if I can help you, if I can help you, then you tell me what you think of me. That's it. That's all I ever wanted to do is to walk in and be of help, to give. Once again, it's about giving. I don't need for anyone to tell me what I've done. I know what I've done. It's now a matter of what I walk in to give and what I do and what I bring every day to the table. A lot of times I'll tell you, I don't, don't ask me what I bring to the table. I am the table. If I am the table and I set the table, then everybody who comes to the table can pull from the table. That's the way my mindset is, is when I walk in, I want to be the table. Take from the table. You're able to eat every time I walk in. That's my mindset. And that's the way it's been for me since being here. I haven't had any of those issues. I don't want to have those issues. It's been excellent. This has been absolutely a wonderful for me to be a part of. Uh, I'm growing, uh, still learning. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing. As long as I'm growing and still learning and still giving, I feel like I'm in a great place. I, I would agree. I definitely think you're the table. You set the table for our team. You set the table from a relationship standpoint. It's clear everybody respects you. You command Thank a room. You. You in, in, your resume speaks for itself. You, know, you don't have to Google, but you should Google because I read off a laundry list of things you've accomplished. And one of the reasons why I want to have this conversation is because I think it's important people understand what you've accomplished and what other women out there will continue to accomplish when they get the right chances and opportunities. We discussed the Pelicans, right? The Pelicans a few years ago to the yeah. Pelicans now. What has changed? How has the culture continued to shift? Yeah. And my follow-up question will be from a relationship standpoint, how important is it for coaching, for coaches in general to have relationships with players? And mm -hmm. then we'll get into relationships with Z and yeah. the rest of the yeah. guys. Well, you know, what, what I've seen the most is how guys have really uh, enjoyed one another. And when you have that, you got something really special. Right. From top to bottom, when you have guys who care about each other off the floor, that carries CJ right onto the floor because there's a care factor. For each player, I, I, I love this guy. I want to battle with this guy. And you guys do that every single day. Practice, people don't get to see that because that's closed. Mm -hmm. We have some of the best practices. They probably look better than the games because of how we battle. Right. That's why we're so ready for game time. Uh, but I, I like how we care for each other. 
how we pull for each other. We love each other's success. We're not against the success of each other. We are for each other. And that's the beautiful part. There you see the chemistry. And when that comes together, something beautiful is about to happen. I absolutely agree. I think there's kids that listen to the C.J. McCollum show, and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times kids want to know how they can become successful, how do they sustain greatness, how do they become a pro. What do you think are the most important attributes or skill sets that a person must possess to be successful in Preparation. Sports? Preparation. If I could say anything about that, C.J., I would always say preparation. There's going to be times when you don't want to prepare. There's times when you're struggling. There's times when... Uh, it's just not a, a day that you want to go and do what you need to do, but preparation is of tremendous value. Um, because if, I, if I'm separated, it's separation from preparation. You got to remove yourself sometimes too from a whole lot of stuff to become what you want to become. So it's separation from preparation. Once again, there's that word again. And in that preparation, there's purpose. So my purpose is being purpose driven for my dream. And once I find that purpose, I'm deliberate in my action. I am deliberate in my purpose. When I become deliberate in my purpose, it's amazing what you're going to accomplish. I am deliberate in my purpose, and my preparation is key to all of these things. You heard it here first, kids. Preparation is very important. I think you look at our roster, you look at our staff, you look at top to bottom, front office, Griff, Trajan, Schwinn, down the line, everybody's prepared. Yeah. Everybody has a purpose. We understand what we want to accomplish together sure. as a group. And we also understand the importance of relationships. You and Zion have a great relationship. It was mentioned in Sports Illustrated. They talked about a moment in which you asked to see how he was doing. And he, he told you he wasn't doing well. Yeah. And you cried for him. You showed your emotion. You showed the fact that you truly care about him. And I think that's a sign of you being a good person and you caring about us more than just basketball. So I guess my question is, how has your relationship with Zion continued to grow? For the fans out there that don't know, you know you, you're part of his player development. You, you, you play a huge role, not only in his on-court development, but also his off-court development. It is, a, it is a really special relationship. But the one thing that Zion understands is there's a demand uh, for greatness. There's a demand every day from me to him of greatness. And for me, it's best that I have to show him what, what does greatness look like? Greatness smells a certain way. Greatness walks a certain way. So it's, it's my duty, not just as a PD worker for, for basketball to be great in your skill because this guy is really skilled and talented and gifted. But what do I give to help him understand the same thing that you're doing out here on the floor? You got to do that on the outside. The outside of this court is probably more valuable than what you're going to do on the court. And so I, I have a lot of tough love, a lot of tough love um, because I want him to succeed. I want him to succeed, but there's a certain way it has to be done. And you have to hold yourself accountable every single day to what you must do to be a part of a team. Hold yourself accountable because this isn't tennis. This is basketball. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! 
Loved. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Well, that's absolutely correct, and I think we've seen the strides in his game, right? Obviously, he finishes well around the basket. He's got a good handle. He has the ability to do things that only he can do, but I think his passing has really improved. We talked about the ability to set a table. We talked about being the table. I think his next step in greatness is being displayed, his ability to engage a defense and make the right decision. Yeah. He has unreal gravity and I think I just want you to speak to some of the development you guys have focused on not just the shooting and the skill work but the understanding of spacing the understanding mm -hmm. of empowering your teammates and how important it is when he makes the pass to a D Graham who's wide open and D Graham knocks it down what that does for our team yeah that's so so important that you say that because he everyone sees him as a superstar who can go and do whatever he mm -hmm. wants but the one thing that that needs to be noticed about him is he's one who's willing to make everybody else better around him mm -hmm. and to make those different passes that he will make he sees the floor very well he has great vision he sees the floor very well and he wants everybody to be successful he wants to share the ball uh, and that's something that we work on we work on understanding patterns and if you understand patterns you're going to know where the ball goes you can close your eyes i know what if i understand what a defense is doing i I know where the ball is going to go. We understand, like, if you're, who's guarding me? It doesn't matter who's guarding me. It is what is the help is doing? What is the help doing now? I find what I create. And he's gotten really good at that, but we, there, there's things that we can do to get even better. I absolutely agree. And I, I just wanted to recognize the strides that he's taken and yes. made and understand that I know that was a point of emphasis from you to him yes. and from the rest of our staff, especially me, you know, getting on him about embracing the greatness. Mm -hmm. You want to be great, mm -hmm. a lot comes with being great. Yeah. And that's on the yeah. court stuff, it's off the court stuff, but that's also the ability to be selfless when you need to be selfless. Mm -hmm. and I think that's when that's when you really turn the corner. That's when we turn the corner as a team and it looks like we have. Yeah. yeah. The transition for me, right? I come to New Orleans, you guys have this idea of what you think I'm like, I get there. What was that like for you guys as a staff? What was that like for you personally? Yeah. And what are the things that you didn't know that I was good at, that you're seeing I'm good at? And what are the things that we've been working on behind the scenes? You know, CJ, what I love, I love this about you is your leadership, your, your leadership, because leaders lead. And the one thing that you do really well is you bring people along with you whether that is the on-court stuff or the off-court stuff. You're, you're teaching uh, these young men things that they need to know when this game is done. When this game is done, these are the things that you probably need to get your hands on. Why your name is hot. What are, you, what are you getting yourself into? What are you involving yourself in? You're teaching them in so many things that I see that is of value to them to grow as young men. And that, that, that's huge. But as a bucket getter, everybody knew you were going to go get them buckets. We know you're going to get those buckets. But what I also like that I thought that you came back this year with a better um, drive, a better sense of I am going to be better at this is making everybody else better and I'm gonna defend my ass off. You have done that and that alone brings everybody else with you even more. And I think that is a piece that I think that you said that just what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be better at this. And you can see there's that deliberate action. It's a deliberate action with the purpose that you want to change something. Yeah, that's something I've been working on and I talked to my brother about it. I talked to, you know, my wife and I think one of the things I said was that, you know, I've been a great leader my whole life. Yeah. Now it's time to not just lead by example, it's time to show action. Mm -hmm. And to show action means I gotta defend. Yeah. I gotta be comfortable with making sure everybody else eats because I know how to eat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So being able to do those things I think was the next step in my greatness, you know, as a player who's mm -hmm. well rounded 
in order for me to hit my ceiling and for our team to hit our ceiling, I got to be able to have a high assist to turnover yeah. ratio. I got to still be able to score down the stretch and make plays. But I think it's important for us as our team, the way we're constructed, that B.I. has great nights. Z has great nights. Mm -hmm. Trey's going to have some great nights. Herb, JV, yeah. the list goes on and on on the amount of possibilities we have from an offensive standpoint. But for me, I have to be able to set the table and make this a chess checkers game. And my talent and my mind are finally starting to yeah. meet. And I think that's the intersection of the peak performance of an individual or an athlete. And I think we've seen it with Braun, we've seen it with Chris yeah. Paul, we've seen it with a lot of these guys, how do they sustain a high level of play? It's the physical meeting the mental. Yeah. And then sometimes yeah. the mental surpassing the physical, and that's when you get, you know, those, those historic nights. Yep. And what, gosh, you, you just spoke huge right there because any time that – our young men can see, because you've been in this league, you've done it, you're doing it, and still doing it at a very elite level. Anytime that they can hear you speak the way that you just spoke, they're like, dang, if he can say that, I know what I can do to make a change. And they'll follow that. They follow what you bring. They'll follow what you bring every night. And like you just said, and one thing I do know is you'll hold yourself accountable. You'll hold yourself accountable. I should have, I should have, I should have. And then you'll come back and get it done. They follow that. They follow that type of leadership. Leaders lead. Leaders always lead. I think that's the good thing about our team is, you know, I try to lead when I need to. I speak when I need to, but mm -hmm. I make sure that people feel empowered enough to hold me accountable. If I miss yeah. my rotation on the backside, and yeah. you, you're supposed to tell me. Yeah. If I get scored on, like Kelly Olenek for the game winner, I still can't believe Kelly scored on me for the game winner. But I'm supposed to hear about that, and I have to be better. And I think that's when you take steps as a team to where we've been very banged yeah. up this year. We're still 4-2 and two as we record this, you yeah. know, hopefully 5-2 and two after we beat the Lakers. But I think the key is to continue to build mm -hmm. from within, understanding that when you want to make a postseason, and run you need depth yeah. and this gives us a chance bi being out obviously we need them it gives Najee a chance it gives some of these younger guys yeah. a chance to get extended yeah. minutes because at some point we're going to need them again throughout the season we got a guy in willie who hasn't played a lot and he was the mvp and is very capable and that shows you right. how deep we are as yeah. a team yeah looking at our staff obviously we're led by willie green right mm -hmm. talk to me about willie his development as yeah. a coach and how impactful he's been yeah. for our organization yeah. and our team and our structure. Yeah. The thing that uh, I think works so well uh, with Willie is his demeanor. Uh, his demeanor means a lot uh, to each one of you all as players of how he approaches things. You know, he pr approached everything with a positive vibe. Everything mm -hmm. is a positive vibe. Even when we, we were down 0-13, like hadn't won a game, but he'd walk in every time and say, he'd say, we're okay. We're in a good position. He was always bringing something positive out of what everybody thought was negative. And that pe people can follow when people want a leader who's always believing in who they are and what they can bring and still bringing a lot to the table. He's bringing a lot to the table every day, expecting a lot from us to put on the table. And he does that every single day. He does it every single day. He doesn't have to scream. He doesn't have to holler. Right. It's the way he approached every single thing of the demand to come in and work your butt off. The demand on the defensive side, he, there's a demand. He wants it done. Is it isn't an expectation, it's a demand. It's a right. demand to get it done. And you have to get it done. If you want to play on this squad, you're gonna play a little bit of defense. Absolutely. We've discussed New Orleans, me, Z, Willie. We haven't discussed the city and the people and the culture. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the development of our play and how that's kind of intersected with us co yeah. coinciding with the culture. Obviously the fans have become more engaged, but the pride that we get from competing in front of you know, our people being able to eat the food, mm -hmm. being able to, to see what we mean to the city and how we're able to impact it. Yeah. You know, CJ, sometimes when you're in a city, it's all about being what the city is. And New, New Orleans is resilient. 
it's a resilient place. And I believe we are a resilient team. We kind of come together with that. We're a resilient team. We fight like heck. And every time something happens in that city, they come back. They pop back every single time. And I think we kind of brought that, that together with our team and the city of New Orleans. And the way that we do it, we make them feel a certain way too. When they walk into the arena and they're watching us play, they're watching you guys perform, they feel a part of it. And when you feel a part of something, they're going to feel that arena. You guys have made that city feel so proud of what you bring. They're going to be a part of what you do because we are genuine in what we do when we walk out to be a part of what the city does. Yeah, that's absolutely true. As a GOAT, what do you think of the public's obsession with GOATs? you got Jordan versus Kobe, Adam Braun, Diana Taurasi, mm-hmm. Sue Bird. Who is a GOAT in your eyes? Besides yourself. You know, I've never gotten into that debate. And I don't do it for a certain reason. Um, because I believe each player, they're great in their own right. And I, I, I won't say that there's the greatest of all time. I, I've never gotten into that debate. I love Michael Jordan. I love Kobe Bryant. I love these guys. But I'm never going to go in there and say this is the greatest of all time. I just don't because everyone was great in their own right. And there's greatness in every one of them, greatness in everyone. But I've never gotten into that debate, not even on the women's side. If someone asks me who do I think was one of the best, I'll say Cynthia Cooper every single time. It's going to come out of my mouth every single time. But I won't debate on the greatest of all time because there's so many people that I can put in that, in that position. And then I really won't, don't have an, an answer, really, because I'll be like, well, right. she's the greatest of all time. She's the greatest of all time. He's the greatest of all time. He's, well, where, where, where do I really lie? Where do I really lie? I lie in the greatness of each player is where I lie. That's where I am. That's a good answer. And I think a lot of people have trouble comparing errors because they feel like Mm -hmm. their error was superb. They do. They feel like their error was harder or more difficult or better talent or Mm -hmm. obstacles that we had to go against were better, bigger, whatever the case may be. And I think for me, I always say it like the players that came before me laid the laid the path that I have now and I'm thankful for that and I feel like I could compete with anybody but I also recognize that there was a lot of great players in that era there's a lot yes. of great players in our era yes. and we'll never know what it was like because we'll never be able to go back and play against exactly. John Stockton exactly and see that's the thing too see you, you now, now here comes a conversation because now you're like well if he would have played against him and and at this age well it's not going to happen we're right. ifing we're ifing if that would happen when we, we, we can't compare that yeah. Can't, I can only talk about what he did in his era, and I can talk about what he did in his, and they were great at it. The follow-up question is, looking at the era that you played in compared to the W currently, do you ever think back and say, I wish I could have played in this era against some of these? Ooh, I do all the time. <laughs> I do it all the time. I do all the time because it's, they're so gifted. These girls are so gifted, and, and I was so willing just to give the ball up. And I, I actually used to talk to Cynthia Cooper about this and say, you know, well, how many assists I would have had with those girls? Because I enjoy just giving it off, giving it off because of the way that they play now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I think we all do it. I think we all say, man, I wonder if what happened if I'd have played with that crew. I think we all do yeah. it. I'm just curious. And then my last question is centered around a woman becoming a head coach in the NBA. Mm-hmm. At what point do you think that's going to happen, and what would that mean for not just the sports world, but women in general? It would mean in, it would be incredible for for women. Um, and see, there's plenty of women that can do this. Mm-hmm. It's plenty. It's just like you said earlier when we were talking. It's about the opportunity, given the opportunity to get it done. Um, and I understand it, it's this is way bigger than I am. It's way bigger than me. I understand the magnitude of it all. Um, and I know what steps I have to take. I know um, the doors I, I need to open. I know how I got to get feet in because 
it's for the next woman to come. Right. It's, it's for the next woman to come, not just for me and for me to live it alone. It's for the next woman to come. That's why I do what I do. I, I'm, I'm not just about me. Never have been, never will be. Mm-hmm. But what can I do while I'm in to help the next woman to come? That was beautifully said. And I appreciate you coming on the CJ McCollum show, sharing some gems. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners out there? I'm just happy to be here. And I thank you so much because there's a lot that you're doing uh, and what you're doing for our young people. That means so much. I, I go deep, too. I looked at a lot of stuff that you do, and, and um, there's, there's a lot more to us as athletes than what people ever can imagine. Right. They only see you as going to get buckets. They only see you doing that. But they need to see what you do on the outside for young people to be able to do what you're doing, for young people to be able to, to get a mic and, and live out a dream, for them to be, have, have their own brand of wine, to, to have their uh, CJ Press Pass. All those things that you're doing, you're, you're impacting lives. So at the end of the day, if you write your book and they read that book, does that book impact a life? I believe your book impact lives. And that's what our life should be about, impacting the lives of our young people. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. That, means, you. that means a lot. And I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your greatness and your story with everybody else. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me.